You don't believe my son just slipped. Excuse me? Fucking Babylon. I will leave you. You don't think I want to spend some time with my family after being gone all week? People think that I am unhinged? You touch me like that again and I will fucking leave you. Fucking leave you. Maybe you can give one hand Warren so he can shove it too. Oh, and we're off. The Coffee Black Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clash Crew Big Little Lies episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we uncover the truth of episode two, Telltale Hearts, and episode three, The End of the World. So ominous. We're going to cover these episodes one at a time, so we'll start with episode two, Telltale Hearts, where Renata faces an uncertain future when Gordon lands in legal trouble. Corey asks Jane out on a practice date, Celeste opens up to Mary Louise about her relationship with Perry, and Ed confronts Madeline on her secrets. IMDb is giving this a 9.4 and Rotten Tomatoes a 100%. The critics say Telltale Hearts makes it very clear that the character's guilty consciences or other distressing emotional issues will manifest in problems both little and big. Now that the plot is shining light after light on the secrets that held everyone's lives together, the final scene of season one feels like a naive fantasy compared to the consequences and fallout. As we speculated, episode two is already ramping up really quick. We're getting into the plot. Everything's falling apart because of these secrets. Let's start off by saying, Jason, are you familiar with where this title comes from? The story, The Telltale Heart? No. Really? Not an Edgar Allan Poe fan? Um, I remember it from school. This is a big one that sometimes you had to read in school when you did Poe. It was a short story related by an unreliable narrator who tries to convince the reader of their sanity while simultaneously describing a murder they committed. We don't know who the narrator is, or even if it's a man or a woman, but they talk about how they attempted the perfect crime by murdering and dismembering a man and then hiding his body under the floorboards of their house. Oh, jeez. Seemingly, they got away with it, but ultimately, the narrator's feelings of guilt or mental disturbance, depending on what you think, result in them hearing a repeated thumping sound, which the narrator interprets as the dead man's beating heart. So he's constantly just hearing this thump, thump 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 and it's driving him or her crazy to the point that they got away with this perfect murder but it's going to wind up unraveling because they just can't deal with the manifestation of their guilty conscience well that makes complete sense especially for bonnie but i believe it's all starting to catch up to everyone else and the beating hearts are mary louise elizabeth a new character this episode and quinlan Yeah, just refusing to let this issue be buried, metaphorically, right? And it is that age-old thing of having to live with that secret. How do you bear the weight of it? Bonnie is really struggling. I'll start out by saying my overall thoughts on this. I loved the acting, as usual. I thought every single person was on par. Do we even need to say it? Of course. But it's just amazing. I love that the pace picked up so much more quickly. And it's always interesting because if you listen to any of our podcasts, when we review the first episode of any season or show, a lot of it is guesswork because obviously we haven't been told much. And then you can see as the season unfolds what we got right, what we were way off with. One of which seemingly we did pick up on is that restaurant, that deli, is no longer in the picture. We now have this new one, which is, it's cooler. Coffee shop. Coffee shop, yeah. It's cooler, let's be honest. Yeah, I'm just frustrated at the fact that they totally drop Tom's storyline as a character and then drop the coffee shop as well. Like 
maybe if we just forget about it, people <laughs> won't remember there was a Tom. Uh, in a bigger sense, Jane's story really seems to have taken a back seat right now. And she was such a central <clears throat> figure in season one. I'm a little frustrated. I know that we have so many other things to cover, but her scenes kind of feel like they're jammed in there. I feel you on that, except for her son. I mean, that's part of the snowball that's building. The lie about, or the not telling the truth in regards to who her son's father is. I think that was my biggest problem, though, with this episode, was once they finally got to that, where it still relates to her about her telling Ziggy, we had this really pivotal moment, something that, at least for me, I don't remember having ever seen on TV, where Jane was going to have to explain to Ziggy what it means to be assaulted. A really serious conversation, and I thought, amazing, big little lies, go for it. You're tackling these extremely difficult topics, things that unfortunately women have to deal with. We've seen the inner workings of what Celeste is going through, having been in an abusive relationship. But this is another part of that. What do you say to a child when you need to explain that? I was so excited to see how they handled it. And then they didn't. They just cut away. And in a sense, I almost feel like they did that with a conversation between Celeste and her sons as well. That we see a little about her describing Perry's flaws, or maybe she doesn't. We'll get to that later. But we don't see her telling them about having another brother. Well, I think uh, it's definitely on purpose because it's more about the women, what they have to go through emotionally in regards to these problems, rather than the kids and how they're going to deal with the information. As of now, I could be wrong. A hundred percent. But that is a huge part of a struggle for somebody that goes through this. How am I going to explain that to my children? This is part of their character arc that they have to deal with this season. The ripple effect of those ramifications, it doesn't just affect them. It affects their family and their kids and their friends. I think I already resent saying that because they're actually starting to unfold that as well with the kids, with the teacher bringing it up. Mm -hmm. And we learned because we asked this last episode, do the kids go to therapy? And it seems like from the teacher's conversation with Celeste, they do. I'm wondering if she's lying about that, though. We'll get into that as well. Yeah, it is starting to branch out to them now to see how it's affecting them and the fact that what these people go through in their relationships isn't contained in a bubble. You know, we built up to that last season, Celeste thinking that her children had not witnessed the violence in her marriage, but in fact they had and how much it's impacting them now into this season. So I just thought these were two really amazing opportunities to approach something extremely difficult. What happens? They're in those talks. What do they say? And it feels like HBO shied away from that. Oh, it's a little too difficult. Let's just do a cut scene oh, and imagine so? that they're going to hmm. talk to them. And what would they say? I wonder. Other than that, though, I pretty much loved everything else. It's a minor point. I had some thoughts that we can bring up later. We didn't talk about it in episode one, although we saw it, but now it's continuing to escalate in episode two, this reoccurring theme of water. Every time we get the flashbacks this season from Bonnie's perspective or when her mother Elizabeth touches her, it's always imagery of water. And then there were a couple of mentions throughout the episode of people drowning. So I wonder if that's all being used as symbolism or if it's actually pointing towards something we're going to be looking at within the plot. Hmm. I was thinking more symbolism. I think Elizabeth is an empath, and that's just a visual depiction. Her daughter is drowning in this lie and in what she's done. I would definitely have agreed with you 
And episode one, we saw Jane drawing a picture of Perry in her sketchbook that has these things that look like octopus arms, perhaps, behind him. All seemed like a metaphor. But then you also have things here like Celeste explaining to Mary Louise why Madeline is actually a good friend. And she tells this story we've never heard before. Did you know she saved one of the twins from drowning once? So it's being brought up repeatedly now in more concrete ways. I I don't know. It feels like very heavy handed to just be a metaphor. You could be right. I'm trying my best to save the rest during the plot. But I do have one question. Am I a bad person? Because I never viewed Madeline as a bad person. I thought she was quirky. She's got some things about her that sometimes seem selfish, but in the end, it's not. But this episode had me questioning that. I don't think she's a bad person. Uh, That feels like a very strong label. I do think she can be selfish and self-centered at times. Yeah, that was really displayed to me. And I feel like maybe I was being ignorant. Well, we've talked about it before in regards to her daughter, that the daughter picks up on it and is pushing back against that at times, even when she's, yeah, even when she's trying to give Abigail advice, (laughs) it all comes back to her life or you're going to wind up with no life like I did, you know, dot, dot, dot. And of course, the biggest example of this is her relationship with Ed. And this is why I expressed in our last review, I was almost upset that they decided to add an affair into the mix. It felt like something concrete that viewers could wrap their heads around, but I actually think it's more interesting and complex if you don't have that. If you just have all of these little lies and these little secrets, these little moments of selfishness that build up over time and drive a huge wedge in between a relationship until you get to the point where Madeline and Ed are, are we even a team anymore? This is what Ed is saying. How could you not tell me these things. How did we get to this place? I don't think I'm okay with that. It's more difficult and it's more intricate, but I think it might have been better if they just went that route. Because now you're left saying, oh, but Madeline cheated. So maybe she kind of is bad and that's a little too black and white for me. Well, her whole world came tumbling down this episode. Mm -hmm. And she built that house, but both of her kids are the ones that uh, pushed those house of cards down. Oh, both of those kids. So frustrating. And they both were kind of... I know it's not their fault. Unwillingly but... or unknowingly. Like, oops, my bad. Yeah. Well, again, they're learning from their parental example of what they're being raised with. If I ever spoke to my mother the way Abigail did, my father would have beat the shit mm-hmm. out of me. And I'm not that condoning... not have been okay <laughs> in our household. We're from a different time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're going to talk about the plot as we usually do by character. We'll start out with the smallest amount of screen time, at least, with Renata. We see her sharing her excitement over being on the cover of the number one women's magazine when the FBI comes to arrest Gordon. Yeah, so rude. They were in the middle of talking and celebrating about her news. Couldn't they have waited a little bit? Uh, Yeah, that's going to help anything. (laughs) They were so abrupt. They were just like, hey, like got in his space. He's like, whoa, 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 wait. (laughs) I know. Talk about... uh, extremes she was extremely ecstatic and then right away you're you're taking my husband what are you doing i love this character oh she's great she's such a firecracker laura dern is an amazing actress i talk about this a lot how funny it is one of the first things i ever loved her in was jurassic park completely different character but it just shows her range of acting can a woman have a moment Well, to compound that, she sees, after Gordon's being taken away, the police chief drives by, Quinlan. So she's watching them. And this is also something to note. I'm not sure if it happened with any of the other characters, but visually they made it a point to show us in this episode two women cognizant of the fact that Quinlan's following them. 
Renata, and then later Bonnie. Yes. Is that a visual indicator of one of these two, if not both, are going to be the first to break about this lie? And they both are psychologically and emotionally kind of the ones that are on the edge. I wonder. Well, Renata then goes to the jail to visit Gordon. And he downplays the situation, explaining that he made a big bet on a short stock. And he was the only one that knew it was a bad idea. He went ahead with it anyway. Insider trading. That's right? one of the things. Yep. I think. I don't know this stuff. No, that's, not that's absolutely correct. Okay. When you have more information than the public does, and you're basing your bets and stock trading on that fact, which is not fair. Uh, yeah. How about podcasts who have more information than other podcasts? Because mm-hmm. they get things Insider early. casting. Yeah. <laughs> But it's not the only thing he's being held on either. He also says when there was financial trouble, he wound up betting their ranch. He assures Renata that Amabella's trust is safe, but the rest of their assets are community property and so at risk. He's speaking figuratively, right? I bet the ranch on us. I don't think so. Meaning I bet everything that we own. Their home. However many millions their home cost. And And so community property, because they're married, their main checking account, their bank account which is what she keeps talking about. My, it's my money too. Mm-hmm. It's community property. Literally the only thing that's separate than that sounds like Amabella's trust. And I'm sure they can't just throw it all in there right now. <laughs> yeah, they probably freeze all of your assets yeah. when that occurs. Second time I was watching, I was like, what would you do? There's nothing you can do. It's so A unfair. Sense of panic. I am not, not going to be rich. It's so unfair to her. We figure out the reaction isn't just kind of her throwing a temper tantrum. She talked to Madeline in a panic about Gordon putting her back in a hole, back to the childhood she worked so hard to get out of. Mm. So we haven't gotten to see her backstory, but this is a first clue that she came from something less, maybe even poverty, and has worked so hard. This is why she's such a driven businesswoman. She's dedicated to never having to return to that situation in life. And now, through no fault of her own, all of that's just being thrown out the window. Yet she continues to move forward and try to problem solve. I really admire her as a character. I think I would just fall apart Mm -hmm. into a million pieces here. But she doesn't. She secures an estate lawyer. At court, he pleads not guilty. However, Gordon, or should I say Stephen Klein, is that his real full name, is charged with security, mail, and wire fraud. They ask for $1 million in bail, which I think actually did happen and they they did have to pay a million dollars to get him out which man if i'm not on like you can chill in jail for a little while we already have no money i'm not paying a million dollars to bail you out yeah. no, i think we, it's it's five hundred thousand <clears throat> half to, of whatever they ask yeah. and then if you're guilty i don't know I, I think then if you're found guilty you have to pay the rest <laughs> still when you have no money <laughs> you can figure that out dude but We do see there's some warping of reality, the way Renata's viewing it. She's seeing everyone in the court as laughing at her. I think that was beautifully done because whenever someone goes through something like that, in their mind, everyone's looking at them, everyone's judging them, everyone's maybe laughing at them. Or out to get them. Yeah, that's how she feels. Absolutely. Then we see her driving Gordon home. There's a lot of great music notes And we don't always take the time to talk about it. So I'm going to discuss a few as we get to them. Here, I really noticed on the radio is playing What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. And Renata's demanding an explanation. Gordon says they're both creatures of want, especially her, to which she flips out, saying he's trying to turn things around on her, which he kind of is. No matter how much you have, you always want more. What was it? He wanted a boat or something? Some kind of giant boat, I think. (sighs) 
I don't know. We He's haven't gotten our uh, magazine yet this month to buy it. Really get under my skin, this guy. In season one, I couldn't figure out if he was just sort of the opposite of Renana. She was so over the top and high energy and type A all the time that he had to be a little more grounded when Amabella was coming home with the bite marks. I actually really liked the way he addressed his child that time where Renata was making it worse, actually yeah. freaking out, yelling at Amabella. You could see she was frightened. And Gordon kind of quietly came up to her and was saying, it's okay. And I was thinking, well, maybe he actually really is a good parent. And this laissez-faire attitude is just what he's had to adopt living with Renata. But I don't know. Now in this season, they're making him seem like a real ass. Some people who got to the top had to do some crazy things to get to the top you know yeah but they don't portray him as having that internal experience as telling her you don't understand this and this thing it was just kind of like well i made the wrong bet i really wanted a yacht or whatever so shit happens almost like he doesn't care i wonder i think he cares but um do you think this is a front like to protect himself from himself yeah yeah maybe emotionally either way she totally deservedly freaks out, says it's not her fault. She never asked for more. She yells and kicks him out of the car. <laughs> great moment. But almost immediately, she does turn back for him. Also really great. Just showing Renata's strength, her character, her Is commitment. Is it foreshadowing, too? In the end, she'll come back for him or be there for him? I think so. And now we hear Good Thing Gone playing as our music note. Well, next, let's move on to Celeste. We have a lot to talk about with her. She is our opening scene for the episode where Down by the River, Neil Young plays. Really a scary scene. She's mm-hmm. driving, looking totally haggard. Her eye makeup is running down her face. Her vision is blurry. We don't know if she's just been crying or drinking or what's happening, but she gets into an accident, veers into a guardrail, and then calls Madeline to come pick her up. She explains when she couldn't sleep at around 2 a.m., she took a pill and doesn't really remember anything after that. Man, be careful about Ambien, uh, yeah. is all I'm going to say, because that's not unrealistic. And doctors give that out so easily. I don't want to get personal, but I have a family member who, all I did was a little bit of Googling how bad it is for you. Some really extreme side effects that happen to a lot of people. It's too the, powerful. The biggest thing, right, if you don't take it early enough in the night and you don't get enough sleep or you manage to wake back up while still being on it... Mm-hmm. You can have memory fog from those entire periods. They tell you not to drive on it. You can borderline hallucinate, act very bizarrely. And you get addicted to it in the fact that it'll stop working. Mm -hmm. So you need to take more. Actually, it keeps you up when you've been taking it too long. All sleep medication that's available is a little scary. That's a whole other ball of wax. (laughs) I can certainly understand why Bonnie is on it, but this could have gotten a whole lot worse. For her, actually, she's kind of lucky she wasn't hurt. Oh, yeah. Madeline picks her up, and while they're going home, they drive past Bonnie walking along the side of the highway, acting bizarrely. There's really no other way to put it. She sarcastically comes back at Madeline when Madeline offers to give her a ride. I'm I'm on a hike. That's the point of a hike. Like, what's Mm -hmm. the matter with you? I'm just walking. But she is doing things that are strange. They're both handling that wrong, let's they, be honest. Yeah, they can't. Are you on drugs? Like, you don't say that. Can't seem to get on the right page here. I feel like Madeline has done such a good job, and I'm, I don't mean good as in positive. I mean good as she's really done this well t- for herself, of forgetting mm. and just throwing it in the back of her brain, moving on with her life. Compartmentalizing. Whereas certainly Bonnie can't. It's not as easy for her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to bite all of them in the ass. Celeste is still kind of in denial. 
Jane seems to be the better for it. This was like a catharsis for her. Not not even the fact that Perry died. We talked about that. But she had her resolution. She found out who it was. She was able to confront it. So all of the characters sort of at different phases of their healing. We also have to remember, for a long time prior to this, Madeline and Bonnie had this very strained relationship because mm-hmm. of Nathan and Mm -hmm. everything that's happening there so them trying to be cordial and friends with each other is still a new thing and i think you're going to have a lot of that weird tension anyway we'll come back to her speaking of celeste once she gets home mary louise greets her with concern madeline covers by saying it was her that had the emergency but it leads to another confrontation between the two with mary louise calling madeline a bully she tells her a story about her own childhood where her father realized Mary Louise would always seek out the bully and make friends with her. All of these little anecdotes about Mm -hmm. Mary Louise's life, I feel they're going to be important later, but I can't quite get a grasp on how and why. So is Madeline the bully in this situation? And she she wonders that too. Well, I'm starting to think that too. Um, She most certainly can be in in regards to the way that she always puts herself in the middle of other people's issues and dictates to a certain point what happens or how they're going to be feeling and things like that so maybe pretty overbearing yeah but anything that she's trying to do with her and we kind of called this last time isn't really working her tactics the way they're working with celeste and her kind of worming their way in there madeline's still putting up a pretty firm boundary with mary louise Uh, i think mary louise is doing the slow game with her i don't think it's necessarily not working i think she's chipping away she sees that madeline has an exterior that's a lot tougher Mm-hmm. And all she has to do is just chip away a little bit every time. See, I was thinking it wasn't making a dent because Madeline has enough self-protective measures. But now, once these things start unraveling in her yep. personal life and she's more vulnerable, maybe it could start having an effect. I agree. Well, she storms off. Then we go to a scene where Celeste is in therapy and admits she still misses Perry and doesn't think that will ever stop. Even the idea of dating again felt like an affront. Dr. Reisman has her try and exercise. First, she instructs her to think back to a moment of abuse with Perry and replay the incident in her mind. Then she tells her to picture a close friend, Madeline, in her place. Envisioning this, Celeste becomes very angry, starts banging the table and yelling no. The doctor asks Celeste if Madeline deserved that and if she should stay in that relationship. I think this was very well done. It's a good way to break down that barrier of it's my fault or I'm to blame. Take yourself out of it. Put one of your friends in there. Are they to blame? Do you feel like they are partially due for this? No. Now Should put they your... stay with that person? Yeah. No. It gives you a different angle, an open space. You know the whole saying, you're too close to see it? Mm-hmm. It pushes her because <laughs> she's sort of at an impasse in her therapy. And just as a side note, I really love this therapist thus far, how she's dealt with Celeste. I knew this is a tricky tactic to try when she first started bringing it up. I'm like, oh, man. All right, you have to expect that some flooding could happen here. You're reopening this trauma. You're actually asking her to envision it happening. But I don't even think she thought it would be this impactful, imagining Madeline there. She looked a little surprised to see Celeste react that way. Response. Now, I do think she's also moving through the phases of grief, Celeste, over losing Perry. And she's still been so firmly entrenched in denial that part of what the therapist is doing is trying to shift her towards anger. And it, it sort of works here. It's effective. At least you're going to be able to mobilize a response and do something if you're angry about it. Now we're going to see her revert a little bit later, 
but it gave me a little hope to see her move past that for a moment. Yeah, and something that we know, I think, from last episode is that Celeste hasn't been going regularly to this therapist. Mm -hmm. So the therapist, I think, feels like she has to be a little more Mm heavy-handed, for lack of a better word. Push her a little. Meanwhile, at the kids' school, the teacher tells them that when they swallow their feelings, they can turn into angry monsters. So they should feel free to come talk to him about anything they need to. In response, one of the twins asks, what about a dead father? Totally deadpan. In fact, after that, the teacher tells Celeste what he said and that he said it very concretely without any emotion. Celeste reassures the teacher that they're still getting counseling. My question about that, it seems like she told him that to placate him. Oh, it's okay. Don't worry. They're they're in therapy. On some level, she knows she hasn't really been addressing it with them the way she should due to her own issues. We know she sort of sees the value in therapy because she goes herself, though she was reluctant for a very long time. Mm. They're showing us her go to therapy. Why would they not show us the kids going to therapy? And the kids still are clearly having a ton of issues. It it just doesn't seem likely that that's happening. Uh, Yeah, I don't think so either. But let me ask you an ignorant question. If the kids are going to therapy, they're going to go to a different therapist, right? That same therapist shouldn't see those kids. No. Okay. Now, they could occasionally, if the therapist is trained in family techniques, have a session with her and the kids. But it's not You know, ethical. like Celeste gets her own therapy from this woman. The kids get their counseling from, well, and they need somebody that's specialized in child therapy. Then maybe from time to time, Dr. Reisman would see all three of them to check in as a family. But we just, we don't hear much about any of that. We don't even hear Celeste telling Dr. Reisman the kids are in counseling. I, I don't know. It could have been a flippant, yeah, yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. On the car ride home, Celeste brings it up with the twins, telling them it's good to talk about their feelings, but maybe better to do it at home instead of at school. They tell her, the problem is, Mom, she doesn't like to talk about anything, just to pretend everything is okay. She agrees that she shouldn't do that, and families are meant to be open and honest. One of the twins says, I don't think we're that kind of family. That's true. Yeah, just so poignant, though, about how they know so much more than the parents are giving them credit for. Then at home, Celeste tells Mary Louise she was called to the school because the kids are still grieving, quote unquote. And Mary Louise says after the accident, when they lost Raymond, she wasn't sure if she'd be able to go on, but she did because of Perry and so will Celeste for her kids. At first, we don't really know who Raymond is when she's talking about that. Is it her husband, her child? But later we see Celeste has a flashback where Perry tells her he had a brother that passed away when he was five. So seemingly... This was another sibling. We don't know how that happened. Again, something I think is going to be really important later. But also in that flashback, Celeste tells Perry she's an only child. Her mother passed away and she's not close to her father. At which point Perry summarizes, So if this works out, I would have you all to myself. Now he says it in a cute way or in like a flirty way, but the underlining (sighs) thing is pretty weird. So creepy and controlling. I'll have you all to myself. So there's no support system that would tell you what's yeah. happening here is not <laughs> yeah. normal. Yeah, I, I can do whatever I want. I'll be your family. Which again brings me to the fact that there's someone that we don't know yet who was abusive in his family mm-hmm. growing up. And did that have anything to do with how his brother died? I mean, there's a lot. That's curious. Of yeah. questioning there. Mary Louise doesn't tell us much. There's a lot of big little lies mm-hmm. going on. Mary Louise also questions her about that morning, pushing her again, 
And Celeste does end up telling her about the accident. Like, I don't know why she's telling her these things. I know. She didn't need to know that. Mary Louise says she's renting an apartment locally so she can be nearby but not on top of them. She also confesses she doesn't like Madeline. They have had words. And Celeste starts to defend her friend, saying she's been a lifeline for her. And even rescuing one of the twins once. She's trying to get Mary Louise to see. She's actually a good person and a good friend, but she's not buying it. Well, of course. Right away, she's like, oh... Well, where were you? Ugh. It's a constant. Right when you think she's opening up, it's boom, right back to it. Judging her. Finally, Celeste says something because at this point, I'm like, how do you deal with this without blowing up at this woman? She sort of passive aggressively says Mary Louise has always looked at her with suspicion. But Mary Louise clarifies she sees her as an enigma. In fact, that's how Perry first described her. Clarify that because that seemed... A riddle that she can't figure out. She just finds it so difficult to know what's going on with Celeste. Well, I guess that's a big deal because seemingly Mary knew Madeline right away after one sentence Mm -hmm. spoken to her, what kind of person Madeline is. So seemingly Mary's really good at judging characters, which actually she said in episode one. But after all this time, she still doesn't doesn't really know Celeste. Do we? I think we do only because we've seen more inside her point of view. But if you look even at her friends for the longest time, Madeline didn't know what was happening with her marriage. Mm. She does keep a lot secret to herself. And I think that's because she's had to all these years. That's sort of the pattern she's conformed herself to. Mm -hmm. That's why she doesn't even open up with her kids. Well, a conversation is then broken up because the twins start loudly arguing outside. When Celeste tries to break it up, Max tells her to fuck off. What did you say? No! I will not be like him! Yeah, so he yells, fuck off, and then punches her. He's, I think, hitting her repeatedly throughout this, you know, her trying to pull him off. And she saw a little bit of Perry in him and freaked out. Yeah, well, and we know that Max has had this history now with beating up, choking not just Amabella, but Skye, Bonnie's daughter, maybe other kids at school. He's getting aggressive with his own brother. I think... Celeste just can't deal with this anymore. She's so terrified. But in that moment, she almost becomes the problem. She becomes Mm -hmm. the abusive parent who's yelling and... And who's right there? Manhandling her child. Of course. She's never acted like this with her kids before. Yeah. And Mary Louise is going to witness this whole thing. On top of that, it gets even worse. Later on, Mary confronts Celeste about the twins having another brother. She found out about the affair and Celeste could have had the decency to tell her... But Celeste corrects her, it wasn't an affair, but a rape. And Mary's really good at just brushing that off. Will not believe that. Refuses to. More and more I'm starting to believe what we said, is that no matter what, information is going to be fed to Mary. I called this last time, right? Yeah. No matter how much she learns about her son, her son cannot do any wrong. She has to be in denial about it for whatever reason. How do you know Jane... Didn't have multiple partners. Mm -hmm. She could be wrong about the parentage. Why aren't you desperate to believe Perry's not capable of those things? Yeah, I'll never believe it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So Celeste tries again. She says, he wasn't always a good man, and he used to beat her. But still, in complete denial, Mary Louise accuses Celeste of just trying to assassinate his character. After all, if this were true, and he assaulted her, she would have gone to the police. Yeah. Just victim blaming, you know? She's really just forming these truths and putting it in a pattern in her brain that makes sense and that feels better. Yeah, this story is getting awfully convenient, in fact, is how Mary Louise wraps it up. There's a lot of things that Celeste left out. 
And so now she thinks she should actually go to the police. To get some answers. You left some things out, didn't you? The fact that he fathered another child, you left that out. That you planned to move, that you rented an apartment, you left that out. That you were planning to leave him the very night he died. You left that out. And that you, you learned of his infidelity just 10 seconds before he went falling down a flight of stairs to his death. Oh, you left that out too. Well, this is alarming. (laughs) My goodness. Our opening title song is, Do You Really Think My Son Fell? (laughs) Um, Yeah. And that's, now we know that's going to be to the police. And we knew she was going to go there. But I think that it's going to open some doors, but she's going to ultimately wind up continuing her own investigation. She's not going to get the help right away that she's looking for. It's so hard because I know the way Celeste is responding is due to everything she's been through and her trauma. She's continuing to blame herself. The way she's describing it to Mary Louise is, well, we both had a problem. Mm -hmm. We both had a sickness. I used to hit him too. I mean, I just want to yell and slap this woman. And, and I'm getting so frustrated for Celeste that she can't stand up for herself in that way. But she does, in fact, address the issue with the twins. We see her later go to comfort them. She feels really bad about what happened. And she explains about their brother, another conversation we don't get to see, a little piece of that. They seem non-reactive, but they ask if their father was a bad person. And Celeste insists, no, he was a wonderful man. He could be weak at times and made some mistakes, but so can they all. Well, I would say that too to the kids, especially at that age. At that age? No, 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 no. Like, okay, it's, let me rephrase that. There's two parts to this conversation that need to happen. Both of them equally need to happen. There's no not telling the kids something anymore because they've found out. Found out about the parents' abuse a long time ago. That's a conversation that should have been had that wasn't at the time. Now they found out about the brother. She does need to say the things about him being a good father, if I was her. I would say, nobody can ever take that away. He was a really good father to you. It's right that you hold on to those memories and remember that. But actually, parents are people too. And the thing is that people can be good people, but also have a sickness and make mistakes sometimes. Okay. And your father did have a sickness and sometimes he hurt mommy and that's not a right thing to do. That's something boys should never do. Nobody should do that. No people should hurt other people. She needs to bring up this issue and separate the fact that we can talk about Perry as a person and still say he was good but not excuse the behaviors. Make it very clear the behaviors were incredibly wrong because I think they're still getting a mixed message of, oh, so daddy was actually really good and the things he did were okay. He was just weak sometimes, so I can keep doing those things. I I can keep hurting other kids because it's not so bad. But Celeste was still at that angle that she's not going to tell them about hurting. Yeah, and the issue is we don't see what did she say later. How much did she tell him about Jane and Ziggy and what's going on there. Yeah. I like that we get the scene at the end with them going to visit Jane and Ziggy, and we'll talk about that later. That is a step towards healing and reconciliation, but I think she's missing a big part of the conversation. It's going to continue to be a problem for these poor little boys. 
Okay, so we're not even through the first episode yet. We're already running really long, but let's just touch on our other main characters quickly to talk about what happened. We see one of the big things here is that Celeste calls Madeline frantically wondering how the twins found out about this. Ugh. And Chloe admits that she overheard Madeline talking on the conversation and told them. And Ziggy. The phone call is like, I'm sorry, she's grounded. Oh, that makes it okay. <laughs> it's She's so oblivious to what's going on around her. Mm-hmm. She's not even noticing that her daughter's right there while you're discussing these things. This is the big thing we saw in episode one, her constantly talking on her earbuds Mm. on the phone and everybody else is hearing everything she's saying. That's right. Her clients are hearing it. Yeah. And of course, Ed overhears it. I was a little frustrated that they put this sequence first because it is totally understandable why Madeline would not tell Ed the explanation she gives him that... She was trying to protect her friend's privacy. There was a rape situation. Jane hadn't even come to terms with this herself yet. I think later it's sort of one more thing on top of the pile of secrets that Madeline wasn't sharing, but it's a little weird to have Ed kind of reacting to that this way here as the first interaction. Well, I think it's not just that. I believe that in this whole relationship, he's always feeling like the outsider. And he does say that. They're supposed to be partners. She's keeping all these things from him. There's also this other issue going on with Abigail because Madeline's worried about letting her stay with Bonnie in the condition Bonnie's in. When she approaches her, Bonnie actually agrees. She can't give her what she needs right now. And so they're going to have her move back home. But Madeline first discusses this with her. Abigail agrees. She's not opposed as long as the goal isn't to try to coerce her back into college. In the meantime, while they're having this conversation, though, And Madeline telling her she's not going to do that, but at the same time, she doesn't want her kicking out all these Mm -hmm. fundamental building blocks she's gained throughout the years. I thought family was so important. Mm -hmm. Family is important. And then Abigail just flippantly says, if it was, then why were you sleeping with the theater? She pisses me off so bad. I I understand this is not her fault, but the way they're depicting her, Mm -hmm. this kind of teenage attitude that she has, just can't deal with it sometimes. And Ed is sort of like always creeping around the corner (laughs) bizarrely with his laptop overhearing these conversations. Like he's an outsider in his own home, which is unfortunate. But of course, he hears this too. (laughs) Like his first response is like, I got to go have my ears checked because Madeline's saying it's a no, 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 you you misunderstood that. Um, So I like his approach that he takes a minute to go cool off, let the information sink in. Unfortunately, he has another run in with Nathan. Just like the last person he needs to see right now. Nathan's continuing to open up to him about his relationship that Ed just really doesn't care. He's like, I don't know why you're telling me these things, man. He's saying, I'm trying to get closer to Bonnie by taking up running. And when Ed is just kind of upfront that he doesn't care, Nathan says, okay, maybe we should just settle this right now and have a fight. I think it is going to wind up being a physical fight at some point, but Ed brushes him off for now. He returns home and confronts Madeline, not just the fact that she's been keeping these secrets for a year, but she actually told Abigail and not him. She has this great moment where I feel it's very realistic how she's responding to him. We see her completely exposed and vulnerable for one of the first times, apologizing, basically saying all the things she can. It's not about him. She made a mistake. She's sorry, but The problem is it's never about him. It's not enough. He can't take it anymore, and he finally tells her they're done. And this is going to cause some massive, massive issues for Madeline moving forward. Over to Jane. We see her have another run-in with Corey. 
where he asks her if she thought about their practice date. She's not sure how to feel about him yet. And in fact, in a yoga session with Bonnie, she talks to her about it, trying to figure it out. She thinks he might be, quote, Aspergery, genuine, but weird. So this is something I want to bring up because we got a tweet after our first episode review when we were discussing the conversation between those two on the beach. Mm-hmm. He had said, uh, people will think you're on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And she said, are you on the spectrum? Yep. Now, we were thinking, because we didn't have as much information, it was episode one, that that was them kind of flirting, but in an awkward way. And making a joke about something that was inappropriate, maybe they shouldn't be joking about. So we got a tweet from a Clatcher, Carol, saying, Corey's conversation with Jane on the beach is a bit off. He prefaced this by asking if she was on the spectrum, saying he probably was. Autistic spectrum can indicate high IQ, but social awkwardness, hence the practice date. For sure, I think... After seeing episode two, and we got to see him speak a little more, it seems like he may be on the spectrum. But during season one, we had no indication. It's not just that. Or episode one, I, I toyed with the idea maybe he really does have this, but whether he does or doesn't, a little offensive how they're joking about it, that they're making light of it in this way. And you can't quite tell if he does or if they're just saying he's weird and so he must have Asperger's, which is really not an okay thing yeah. to say. And then they continue to follow it up with bizarre statements. Like when Jane says that, Bonnie responds, she should be careful because, quote, people fake that sometimes to get away with saying dumb shit. Wow. Which I just don't think either way, no matter what the reality is, there's not a proper sensitivity level here. It was very cold, but I think that may be an indication of where Bonnie's brain is at right now. Absolutely. Anyway, we still have to wait to see more about that. At home, we see Jane talking to Ziggy with that conversation we mentioned before, telling him about his father, clarifying what being assaulted means, getting salted. Oh Hmm. my goodness, this kid is so sweet. (laughs) But we don't actually get to see the conversation. The next day, Celeste and Jane meet for coffee. I I like how Jane handles this, that Celeste is very nervous. She still hasn't told her kids yet. She's very worried that Jane has and is sort of upset that they had this deal they weren't going to yet. But Jane stands firm that things have changed and she couldn't lie to him anymore. His entire life has been built on a lie and she needed to just come clean. And she understands she's worried about her boys, but she's got to protect her son too. And so they're able to come to a good understanding. I continue to enjoy the relationship they have together tackling these really hard topics but remaining friends and we have that nice scene at the end where celeste brings her boys over and they're all sitting together laughing and talking but things are not all right with bonnie not by a long shot man we start off with this scene in the car ride home from school where sky wonders if her parents are going to get a divorce because nathan doesn't make his mother laugh anymore again just so intuitive Bonnie tries to insist this won't happen, but Skye wonders if that's not what it's about. Who is she mad at? Bonnie just sort of covers that up and doesn't address it with her. Yeah, it turns on a song. But that's when she sees she's being followed Mm -hmm. by the detective. Yep. During that yoga session with Jane, we have the entrance of Bonnie's mother, Elizabeth. Another strong woman. She says she showed up for this visit because Nathan called her. Bonnie's really angry. She directly confronts Nathan, but he says he's scared of losing her. His previous divorce traumatized him, and he's tried talking to her, but she won't let him in. I think it's the most honest and mature we've seen Nathan Mm. express himself. And then we get a walk together with Elizabeth and Bonnie, and the mother's really prying to what's going on here. She very bluntly says, Nathan is dumb as a rock, (laughs) but she often wonders if that's why Bonnie married him. 
She's doing all these things with her life that Elizabeth can't understand. She says Bonnie's the only black woman in this town. She's surrounded by people who don't look like her or understand her. What is she doing here, you know, is what Elizabeth keeps driving at. And she reflects, well, they all know how fond Bonnie is of her walls. Mm. So this isn't a first time thing. A couple of things here. I like the show is acknowledging it was the same in the books that this town has pretty much zero diversity. It is a lot of these wealthy white women. It's a lot of suburban living and what's happening there. And not that they should change that in the television show to try to bring that in because it's a factor in the first story. But to at least acknowledge that there isn't anyone here mm-hmm. who looks like Bonnie, you know, that's a real point. But also many, many mentions throughout these conversations with a Elizabeth, something has happened in Bonnie's past that she doesn't talk to people about. She puts up a lot of walls. How has she constructed her life since then? The things that she's running away from because in a lot of aspects, yes, Bonnie is very open to an alternative lifestyle. She does yoga. She eats clean. But she is opposed to these other things that her mother's doing, this other level of spirituality and healing. So why does she rail against that so much? You know, there's kind of a weird schism that we didn't understand. And this all comes to a head at the dinner they have together, where Elizabeth says that when Nathan calls, he told her Bonnie hasn't been herself for six months going on a year. Oh, Mm. boy. She criticizes him for not noticing anything with Bonnie and being ill-equipped to connect with his wife, which in fairness, he kind of is. I, I agree. And she brings up the fact when this all started, it's quite obvious this event that happened, this storm that took down the town was the death during the school event. How do you not put two and two together? She watched a man die. Clearly she's got post-traumatic stress, guys. Why isn't anybody saying it, you know? Elizabeth's saying this is obvious. But she's pushing hard. And Bonnie comes back at her, commenting on her drinking. Elizabeth insists it's only on occasion now. Those days, quote unquote, are over. Some Mm. more background. Wasn't all spiritual and perfect. Used to be a problem. And is it still? Is this a rationalization now? I only drink on occasion. Yeah. Bonnie becomes upset with her meddling. It seems like that's also been a pattern in their relationship and she leaves. But in the middle of the night, Elizabeth sneaks into her bedroom to arrange items on her mantle. A bone, a feather, and a crystal. She touches Bonnie and gets another empathic flash? Question mark. Bonnie wakes and goes outside to talk to her saying she appreciates her coming. But she doesn't want any more of this stuff, whatever this stuff is in her life. And it's not the first time they've had this conversation. Very obviously, yep. Elizabeth presses that she's had strong visions lately, lots of water, someone drowning, and she wonders, what have you done this time? This time. time. So that's something we have to remember. What have you done this time? Mm. And we know that she has a propensity of running, putting up walls. Does she do stuff, put up a wall and leave, move on with her life constantly? Is this why she's afraid of Elizabeth's visions, Mm. quote unquote? She doesn't want her knowing any more than what she tells her, you know? She has constructed a life where people don't get her and they don't know her that well. She can put up whatever facade she wants. Mm -hmm. Even her husband won't push too much. He has, maybe for the first time here by inviting her parents. And while he's done a lot of things wrong, I think this is the right move. He doesn't know what else to do. Let me bring in her support system, even if she's going to be angry. I need more help. But she is obviously able to manipulate him. The last scene is her coming up to him very sweetly and saying she needs him to get rid of her mother. It's obvious she has a control. Yeah, she's manipulating him here. He kind of pushes again for her to talk, but she asks him to be patient. This is a lot more Bonnie than I thought we were going to get in episode two, but pretty incredible. All I see is 
we are at the precipice of everything falling apart mm -hmm. or all the lies falling apart. We're knocking right on that door. <laughs> I'm curious to see how Celeste responds to this, Mary, pretty much everybody. Let's just put a bow on this by asking first, Jason, what is your lies rating for episode two? All right, I'm going to go up a notch and go 9.1 lies for this episode. I really enjoyed it. Things are unfolding. It's moving along. The story is amazing and the acting is amazing. I agree with you and I gave it a 9 for the last one. So I'm going to go up a little bit and give it a 9.2. And so for this episode, of course, we asked our Clatchers, who is your MVC? We asked this via Twitter. So if you're not following us yet, get on board. Join this conversation at CKC Podcast. This week was Renata, Elizabeth, who's Bonnie's mother, Celeste and Jane. We're going to go through these answers kind of quickly because we have another episode to cover. Coming in fourth place with 14% is Jane. Third place with 17% is Elizabeth. A real close second with 33% is Celeste. But first place with 36% is Renata. Winning the day. Well, I think the most has happened to her so far. She's been the most impacted at this point in this season. I'm really curious how she's going to respond to this. Does she end up losing everything? Will her lawyers be able to pull something off? It's not a simple answer for this one. Well, and also, she's had the least amount of screen time, but so much occurring. And as far as how each character is responding, I feel, despite the mountain of stressors on her, she reacted pretty damn well to all of that. So, Christina, who is your MVC? I'm going to have to go with the poll and say it was also Renata for me this time. I'm going to put a little twist on this one. I'm going to go Elizabeth. I did not see this coming, and I felt that as far as impact to the storyline and to a character, right now Elizabeth has made the biggest impact on that wall that we saw in episode one. Yeah, which I think is going to have leak out effects for all the other characters the same way Mary Louise's actions on Celeste do. Oh, and they will. Further, Elizabeth has opened up a little bit of background about Bonnie that we didn't know. So I, I, I really enjoyed having her on screen. Although I would not want to be married to her daughter because she would chew me up. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk says, in terms of moving the TV show forward, none of them. But personal stories, I have to go with Celeste. Bonnie is in freeze frame. Madeline and Renata are sliding backwards. Mary Louise continues to be my long-term MVC, but fairly idle tonight. I'd say maybe she was idle because she didn't choose to bite right now, but she's coiling up like a snake and she's getting all the information she needs. That bite is coming. Melly says, were you two screaming at the screen when Renata said she couldn't be poor? <laughs> if I recall well, last podcast, you said wealth defines her so much. It would be interesting to see if her character were to become poor. Oh, there yeah. You go. And in a way we didn't even expect. No, not at all. Amanda said, I voted for Celeste. But Renata screaming, I can't be poor, is a mood. I know that, <laughs> that clip, I cannot not be rich. <laughs> Just Love crazy. it. Sherry Ava says, Big Little Lies stories are unfolding for individual characters at this point much more than any shared challenge, reminiscent to the way the magicians focused on each character's storyline at the start of the season. Then they all united by the finale. I do hope we see them all united again. Right now they're stuck in their own issues, worries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this. Daniel says, I voted Cersei. I mean, Mary Louise. <laughs> but in conjunction with Celeste, Mary Louise's presence is agitating Celeste and Madeline. I believe it's making Celeste's dreams even worse and causing Madeline to lose her shit because she's slipping up. Bad convos on the phone and in person. Mm. Maybe that is the little sign of cracking that I didn't notice. And Cherry Ava says, you have to wonder how Perry's physically abusive behavior started. The more I see Mary Louise in action, the more I wonder what it was like for Perry to grow up with all the focus on him. 
Her biting comments would have been emasculating to a young boy. Where does all the rage go? Yeah, we we brought this up last episode. I, I believe that must have something to do with it, at least. I had speculated a lot of this could be down to the way Mary Louise raised him, that maybe she wasn't straight abusive, or there could have been somebody else abusive there, but a lot of his behavior probably comes from her actions. And I do think we might be seeing the start of that. I'll have you all to myself. I'm very important. Boy. This podcast is brought to you by Twillery. Shirts shouldn't wrinkle, itch, or sweat. It's 2019. Twillery makes stocking up your closet easy, affordable, and the perfect fit guaranteed. Twillery is built on a century-old family manufacturing business. Their team's technical know-how keeps costs down while maintaining high standards in quality and craftsmanship. They bring performance work shirts to the next level for as low as $55 each when you bundle four or more. The Shop in Bundles model gives you access to shirts that competitors are selling for $100 or more. Plus, with free shipping and returns, you can try it on risk-free. Twillery offers an amazing collection including performance shirts, safe cotton, the Friday shirt, and the untuckable. And you guys know by now I got the untuckables. And I wore it to work last week. The amount of comments I got from everyone. Nice shirt. Where'd you get that shirt? New shirt? And I was like, yep podcast twillery uckc <laughs> i sent him to the website i was like you guys got to do this you got to try it it was comfortable i felt good i felt sexy it looked great plus twillery has engineered the world's most innovative non-iron fabric proprietary material called safe cotton meaning no need to iron or dry clean again jason i know you love that that's right there's no annoying scratchy tags and their hyper breathable four-way stretch fabric features CoolMax moisture wicking technology to keep you dry. But that's not all. They also have socks, ties, and collar stays. They combine the fine details of tailored dress shirts with the comfort of your favorite polo. Smart casual just got smarter. And for our listeners, you can get $25 off by visiting twillery.com forward slash CKC. Pick out your favorite shirts and then use promo code CKC. That's twillery.com. T-W-I-L-L-O-R-Y forward slash C-K-C and use the promo code C-K-C at checkout for $25 off. You can support us by supporting our sponsors. Well, all right, let's move on to episode three, The End of the World. And just a note, we recorded episode two before episode three aired, and we realized we should have said that up top because we may have said something that we now know isn't true or... Our opinions may have changed. But it's kind of fun to go along at the same point for this ride instead of retroactively looking back on things. And also, and it's probably just as annoying that I always feel like I have to say this, but we have the AC on and the house fan on. It's so hot in here. And we just want to apologize yet again for the noise. Moving right along, I'm going to tell you how this episode is being received. IMDb is giving it an 8.5 and Rotten Tomatoes a 100%. The critics say... A bit of a slow burn, but utterly riveting. Relationships fracture in big, little, and profound ways. Many of the season's overarching plots take a pause for each of the characters to practice some uncomfortable introspection. In terms of the central plot, this episode moves slowly. But every big explosion needs a setup. And I do think that's what's going on here. I will say there were never parts of the episode that I was bored. I think it was smart to keep it at 43 minutes. Even in a seven-episode series, you need to do some groundwork. I still thought it was very interesting. I didn't see it as slow at all. So much is happening under the covers. Literally? Literally. (laughs) And figuratively. And I love the fact that they take the time with all of our characters, basically, to show us the inner workings. And if they're not showing us it, 
it's on purpose. Who specifically I'm referring to there is Bonnie. Mm. Can't wait to talk about that. In fact, we're going to open up the episode with her. We will again go by character, but I'm going to give you a quick synopsis at the top and then we'll talk about them. We open up on Bonnie's flashback to trivia night, but for the first time showing us after Perry has fallen down the stairs, the immediate aftermath. As Bonnie stands over him, Celeste first insists, I pushed him. But then Madeline steps in and says, no, nobody pushed him. That night, she sees Elizabeth sweetly singing a song to Skye to go to bed. But the next day at the beach, she flashes back to a moment from her own childhood, where her mother is trying to teach her to breathe underwater so she doesn't drown. When Bonnie resists, Elizabeth thrusts her under. Thinking of this, present-day Bonnie walks into the waves. So starting out, I know that we've seen the event several times. But this is the moment we've been waiting for, right? That Bonnie talked about where Celeste is willing to take the heat and Madeline steps in to say, no, this is going to be our story. I like the way they waited till episode three to show this. They hinted at it. Our characters have talked about this time. We slowly learn that it's Madeline who had the idea of everyone saying it was nobody's fault and Perry tripped. And in our heads, and I think we discussed it in the podcast, we thought about how they must have had to think very quickly and they were probably in a panic. And now we get to see it. Bonnie was willing to say, I did it. Celeste was like, no, I'll tell him I did it. And then, of course, Madeline comes in. What would you have done? What was your idea? None of this is great, right? Looking back, it really doesn't seem like Madeline's fault. It wasn't as though this was carefully orchestrated or she coerced the others into it. Everybody is traumatized. Bonnie isn't even really present. Her ears are ringing. She can't quite tell what's going on. Certainly, we don't want her to take the blame. We don't want them to lie either. Would it maybe have been the best if Celeste said that because this is complete self-defense? She was just trying to get him off of her because he was beating her. There was no malicious intent there. Would she still have gotten in trouble? I'm still on the same train of thought. Tell the truth. So I actually would have just stayed with it being Bonnie and explained that he was beating Celeste. And when Jane and the other girls tried to help, he started pushing them and punching them. And Bonnie came down to save them, basically, and just pushed him. And he went down. I think that truth is a lot more impactful and would land them in less trouble, for sure. Or what I would have done, I would have gotten a post-it, written kick me on it, ran down there, put it on his back, and then said, we were at a party, we were drinking, and said, kick me. I just kicked him and he fell. (laughs) No, but really, don't you think the truth would have... I I don't know, because... You can see how even though it's not fair, maybe some portion of blame is placed on her. The thing is, even if the lie changes and Celeste takes the rap for that, which we certainly don't want to see her wind up in any trouble. I just wonder if they're quicker to accept that because he was attacking her. But he was attacking them all pretty much. And is Bonnie still not able to live with it because it's just a different lie? Mm -hmm. It's really the same situation she's in right now. She needs to unburden herself. Exactly. We'll talk about that later, but in the next scene, we start to get another little teaser of the trauma she has. This is crazy. Is this why Elizabeth is getting those empathic flashes of someone drowning because she literally held her daughter under the water like that? No, I'm not, I'm not correlating those. I really believe it's not going to be something literal. I don't believe Elizabeth would have had that flash of someone drowning based on the past. She would have been more aware of it. This seems like something that she's experienced before elizabeth that is not like this flash was out of nowhere and she doesn't know what to do with it no i mean it is from their past we're seeing that elizabeth did that to bonnie yes when bonnie was a kid so not that it's elizabeth's thoughts when she touches bonnie these are bonnie's thoughts of her own trauma from when she was a kid we're seeing it through 
Bonnie's eyes that this is what her mother did to her and maybe this is something she still can't get over ways like this that her mother hurt her that aren't resolved now I'm still not discounting that it could be a premonition of something to come we've talked about how we've got a lot of water symbolism and talk of drowning even outside of Bonnie we have it with Celeste's kids at some point we have it with Jane's visions so maybe it is still kind of a greater indication of something to come or both I suppose What I got out of that scene more pressingly is, one, we got to see how young Elizabeth was when she had Bonnie. We got to see that she tends to snap. Her daughter wasn't giving in so easily, so she snapped and just threw her Mm. down there, which means that she probably does that often with with other things. And it's, it's harsh. It's not just that she's teaching her a lesson. It literally is violent the way she's just yeah dunking her under there. But what it seems to me is... In this present day, when she, when Bonnie goes into the water, at least for now, I think it felt like a cleansing. Like she was able to mentally live through it again and come to some kind of... That's interesting. Do you think she's in a way reenacting the trauma so she can overcome it? She can be empowered by, this time I'm in control? Maybe, yeah. Because I was really worried the way they were showing it with her walking in, she was going to do something to hurt herself. Oh, so maybe... As the episodes keep going, she keeps doing it, like and then eventually doesn't come it. back out. Yeah. Ooh. I know that's dark. You did say you thought someone was going to drown, or did I say it? I don't remember. Yeah, I thought it was a foreshadow, and it felt that way when she walked in. Now, I know she looks very different afterwards, but we're going to get to that. I don't know if that's in direct correlation to this experience or not, but I like your take on it, too. Moving on to Renata. At school, the teacher talks to the children about Charlotte's web, lying, and sustainability, but they're interrupted when he notices a child has passed out in the closet. Amabella is taken to the hospital, and Renata arrives in a panic, insisting she be transferred to Stanford. The doctor tells her she just had a panic attack, she will be okay. He does strongly recommend counseling, and advises that Renata's own stress level isn't helping. So she brings a therapist to the home dressed as little Bo Peep. After the session, Dr. Peep shares that nobody is bullying her. She's worried about the end of the planet. Her class is evidently talking about climate change, and she's gotten the message that we're doomed. Oh, my God. You've got to be kidding me. She's also worried about you going to jail. Well, hello. And she's worried about you. Me? She thinks something's going on with you and has been for a long time. When we first saw her going down the stairs and talking to her, I did not think therapist. I was thinking babysitter or something crazy wacko let's just say it she seemed crazy there's a lot of criticism of the therapy later but very few people talking about this part which is just so typical of renata normal counseling isn't good enough for her kids (laughs) so we have to go to the nth degree of weirdness there are different styles of every kind of therapy and a lot of child therapists will do play therapy or ways that are easier for a kid to open up i would be worried this would just scare my kid And maybe it's the actress and the way she's portraying it. It did get her to open up. That is the big point. But in the same breath, when she took out the fake teeth or whatever she pulled from her mouth and actually started speaking to her parents, she sounded very adept at her job. And she was able to break it down. I mean, let's say she was up there an hour. She Mm -hmm. was able to break it down pretty easily and goes right straight to the point with the parents. And I know we love Renata as a character. She's interesting to watch on screen. Really bad parenting in this episode being translated. We've talked about this over and over again, how the kids observe or pick up what's going on with their parents. 
and it does influence them. Both the doctor at the hospital, the counselor, and then Gordon later will try to tell Renata, your energy is seeping out onto this child. Mm. She's incredibly anxious about everything because you're making her anxious about everything. The way she's acting towards her in the hospital is the worst possible reaction. She needs comforting at this time. As much as I don't like a lot of things about Gordon, he seems like a pretty terrible person as far as how he's conducting himself. I've said it before that sometimes he comes in with a way more appropriate response to Amabella. This happened in season one, too, when they found out she was being bullied. And he very gently tried to ask her questions, tell her everything was okay. Where Renata's just ramping up her own anxiety level. And she won't let Gordon help. She dismisses him. She very snarkily dismisses the doctor's suggestion at counseling, even though it must seep in on some level because she calls one in later. She's going to have to come to terms with her own shit. For some reason, I believe out of all the women in this show, she will be the least likely one Hmm. for a few reasons. She's so headstrong and so passionate in her thoughts, but also she's probably the only one at this point that could legit point her fingers at someone else and say it's their fault. Which she's never going to get to that point if she can't take any responsibility. Later, she just goes in and freaks out on the principal. Exactly. That's what I mean. I really believe she'll, anything that happens to the child, she'll blame on her husband with them losing money. Mm Mm-hmm. Or, like you said, the principal. In regards to that night with Perry, she's really the one that was just there at the wrong time because she had nothing to do with any of that. This is interesting because it didn't seem to be affecting her that much since we weren't seeing that side of Renata. She's got such a tough exterior shell. She has a wall. Later when, yeah, later when she talks to Gordon, he tells her for the last 12 months, her guardrails have been way up like when they first met. That she's never present. Both he and Amabella can feel it. Something's going on with her. So obviously she has been affected on some level that she's really not recognizing. And we talked about this earlier. What levels of denial or dealing with it everyone is at. And the person who's confronting and dealing with it the best, being Jane, is the one who's mentally and emotionally in the best place. Renata is in complete denial, not dealing with any of this. I, I think it's starting to hit her like a Mack truck. But yeah, it's very easy right now. For a beat, it looks like she's going to internalize what Gordon's saying to her. And then very quickly, she just says, well, it's because you lost all our money. You know, there's also a key scene in between there where she goes to talk to Madeline. And we realize more than ever before that these two are kind of close. Renata really turns to Madeline when she's upset. She goes to see her at work. And sure enough, Mary Louise is there. When she sees them, she pointedly remembers that Renata was there the night Perry died. She's just gathering up all of these pieces of information, storing it in the bank. That's right. You're another one. (laughs) She doesn't hide it. Perhaps the biggest dramatic turns this episode are with Madeline. Let's start with she thinks about a recent trip to Dr. Reisman for couples therapy, where the doctor pushes both her and Ed. She asks Madeline how he could possibly trust her now, but also confronts Ed on the different types of infidelity, including his own indifference. She believes Madeline was unfaithful because she doesn't believe in herself and questions her about her own parents' marriage. This is one of the key therapy scenes. How did you feel about how she interacted with them? In watching those scenes, I had a few questions there. I was wondering, how long have they been seeing this therapist? Because that would make a big difference. If that was their first time sitting down with her, that therapist is not good and she's a little too intense (laughs) and very opinionative. I also thought, wow, is that the only therapist in town? (laughs) 
a few things like that, which I know a lot of Clatchers had the same thoughts. But on the other hand, you have to remember that, especially with a season that has seven episodes, establishing many different therapists would take time. Mm-hmm. We know this therapist. We know the way she works. We know she's good in so many ways. So if you put her right into this mix, the audience is already there. Familiar with her. But in regards to how forward she is as a therapist, we did have a question from Kirk that I think is a perfect jumping off point. Would love to hear Chris's thoughts on the therapist's approach to therapy. It seems so aggressive compared to what I have experienced or known of, but maybe it's just a different style. And Melly responded to that saying, I think her approach is judgmental and orients the patients too much instead of asking open neutral questions. But I have seen tweets saying it's realistic. Mm. So I'm going to try to keep this contained. I could probably do a whole podcast on this. I've seen a lot of people writing about it lately in articles where they don't really have a background in therapy. So they're, they're coming at her hard saying this is completely unethical. It's bad therapy. She shouldn't be doing this. I disagree with that. And I definitely don't know everything there is to know. But as a therapist who's seen a lot of different styles myself, I will say right now, it's not horrible. It's not unethical. There are things we don't know in ways that I could say, maybe this is what's needed. Because there are many different styles and approaches in therapy. There's also different ways of responding depending on what phase of treatment a person is at. So as you said before, if you're in early stages of therapy, you want to be establishing a relationship. You're taking a step back. You're asking more questions and listening to what they're saying. You're being more supportive. But at some point, if a person is in denial or isn't totally able to accept something, is reaching a plateau, doesn't have a lot of insight, you need to put that back on them a little bit. This is different than the relationships we have with other people where, say, I might come to you and I really just want you to be supportive of me, listen to me, tell me, no, you're right, everything's okay. In order to grow and progress, sometimes we have to challenge our thinking. If the way we're thinking is unhealthy or keeping us stuck in bad patterns and is leading to toxic behaviors, it's going to be painful and difficult. But the only way to change any of that is to start by seeing what's going on. So I'm okay with this where Celeste is concerned. The relationship has been established and I think she needs to be pushed a little more. I am worried about seeing that with Madeline and Ed because it doesn't seem like they've been in therapy that long. Is this the right thing right off the bat? But as you said, maybe they've been to a couple sessions. This doesn't have to be their first session. Yeah, maybe they went a few times a year ago or two years ago and she's familiar with them. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. But I do remember Madeline, now that we talked about it, she did say, we're going to therapy now. Remember when she was discussing it with someone else in the later in the episode? It's hard to tell, though, how much time has passed. Yeah, because at this point, if it was the beginning, she would be trying to pull it out of Ed and pull it out of Madeline. How does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel like he's normal. He's so indifferent, you know, and right. then you get it that way. But it takes time. And also, it's a TV show. And they got to get to that point. That raises some red flags for me. I want to be on alert. I want to watch out to how this is handled in the future to see if I really agree with it or not. I'm kind of on the fence with that. What I did appreciate was that she's equally giving the insight to both Madeline and Ed. When there are problems in a relationship, even though there might be circumstances where somebody is more at fault for doing something that's really detrimental, it doesn't get to the point where it is usually, Mm. usually, (laughs) without some measure of participation or non-participation from both parties. No meaning we both have something to work on. 
if we want to just get into an argument and place blame and be angry the way Ed is being angry right now, and yes, it's justifiable, but that's not going to help anything. If he's here for therapy and he really wants to try to work on it, he's got to acknowledge his own part too, which can be really difficult. Now, I don't know. Is Ed indifferent? Madeline seems to reject that idea and so does he. And yet his whole demeanor that he has presented a lot of the time throughout these seasons, and particularly in this therapy session, is sort of shut down, not really emotional, emotionally available. This does not justify infidelity. Madeline is completely wrong in the way she reacted in this situation. But is there some truth to that? Because it turns out there's some truth to a lot of things that the therapist said. Things Madeline was trying to dismiss initially, like... Do you just not believe in yourself related to her daughter going to college? Abigail calls her on that later. Mom, that kind of is true. (laughs) How was your parents' marriage? Oh, now that I think about it, there was some stuff there. So she's kind of on point. I think the last point to think about, and I fall into this sometimes too, I haven't experienced therapy that much in my real life. And even if I had, and it was only one therapist, that means I experienced one kind of therapy or one person's style. What I do know is what all the TV shows and movies have shown me, which isn't always exactly how it is. Let me give uh, one extreme example. Couples Retreat. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Totally for sure. wrong and inaccurate, but great. All those therapists are totally different. Yeah. Totally wrong. Yeah. You know, um, two other therapies, uh, Hannibal on TV. Right. So I like that you bring this up because a lot of what people think of as quote unquote traditional therapy is long term psychoanalytic therapy where the therapist sits back and just asks a lot of questions. How does that make you feel? How do you think this is connected to things? That's an approach we see a lot on TV and media we hear about, but there are so many different styles. And in fact, that's a lot less practiced today. We are a lot more short-term, solution-focused, many therapists will choose to adopt this style, to be more active in therapy and offer some tools, never advice, never judgment, but putting the insight back to the person and offering some tools that they could try to implement in order to promote positive change. One more thing to say, I know we touched on it, but it is important to recognize that Madeline shares this story with Celeste about her father sleeping with another woman when she was three. Again, another traumatizing experience because she doesn't even really understand what's going on at that age. Her father forces her into keeping this gigantic secret. Does this start a pattern of what do you do when there's something really difficult in a relationship? You don't tell. And you hide it. You hide it. Nobody needs to know this happened. But also planting this deep-seated fear, she said. She was devastated when Nathan left her because it confirmed her biggest fear about marriage. It's not to be trusted. The next time around, when she gets into a relationship with somebody like Ed, the walls are up way higher. I'm not going to leave myself that vulnerable and exposed. I'm not going to love you and put myself out there that much because maybe you'll just leave. And in fact, Sometimes this even leads people to do things that blow up the relationship, to cheat first, to go Mm. out and do something else first, because at least I controlled that. I would argue that maybe Ed does have some indifference inside of him, but I believe that's what Madeline was attracted to. Sought out, yeah. And I believe throughout the relationship, Ed realized there were times where she will not want to discuss things or she'll, she'll have pushback. And maybe he just adjusted to that puzzle piece and just put himself right there. So he just knew when not to say anything and would just sit back and do his own thing. Sure. 
here's my converse to that. He's probably equally seeking out something about Madeline that he's attracted to, that he's oh, yeah. later going to get upset about when it doesn't work out for him. But when we see him in interactions with other people, and I think that's why they've shown us him with Nathan so often, he exudes that same indifference, being a little snide, a little bit hard to break down the walls. Yeah. This is perhaps a part of his character. And now this is probably one of the most difficult things he's going to have to go through. So I don't want to judge Ed. He has every right to be angry. Yeah, of course. But he's reacting with extreme cruelty here. Oh, it seems so. This is not a good reaction by him. The house fan just turned off. That's really nice. I can actually hear myself (laughs) think. Um, I would argue that in this TV show, the men are all perfect. And it's the women's fault. <laughs> oh, clearly. <laughs> Just kidding. And not Perry. So that wasn't funny if you think about Perry. Sorry. They're actually you know all what? Maybe I should edit either that useless or no good. I was just teasing <laughs> my fiance. That's all I was doing there. We're hinting around this next scene. So let's talk about it. Where Madeline sees Ed having coffee with Bonnie and remarks on how much brighter she looks. Later, when Madeline questions him privately, Ed comments that if he were to have an affair with her, it would be a twofer because it would piss off both Madeline and Nathan. He also adds he will punish her as long as he needs or wants, because whatever he was before clearly wasn't working. All right. So there's a few things there. I believe Bonnie and Ed talking, and I might be really wrong here. I think they just saw each other there. They didn't meet up, and they sat down. They were just having a good conversation. And the way Madeline responded to it and what she says to him, how, how long are you going to punish me for this? I think that was him just responding like, if, well, if you're going to respond like that now, I'm the bad guy. I'm going to respond with, as long as I want to. I think you might be approaching this a little... Wrong? Not wrong, but naively. I don't think they're going to turn around. I don't think it's good writing if all of a sudden Ed is going to have sex with Bonnie. Okay, two things about this. I don't believe that's actually going to happen, although I'm not taking it off the table. A very common reaction when one partner cheats in a relationship and the other one is feeling this angry is to lash out with a similar response. That's, that's known to happen a lot. True. And here's Bonnie, who's feeling misunderstood, not heard by anybody else, the person that would hurt Madeline the most. And he's even if he's not actually thinking about doing that, he needs to tell Madeline because he's trying to hurt her in the worst way possible. Okay. Which is not good. This is nothing that's going to promote growth. But the other weird thing is that Bonnie is remarkably better than she's been this whole season after having this talk with Ed. Yes. She didn't just see him and shoot the shit for five minutes and look this different. Something has happened there. Now, I don't think it's an affair that's already occurred. Okay. But I do think it's something that is another secret that probably shouldn't be kept between just the two of them. Is it possible she unburdened herself? She told part of this truth that she can't hold any more about what happened that night. With Ed? With Ed. Hmm. It's a lot of... uh, What would make her look that much lighter? I really thought that that was her headspace when she saw Ed. And it was what we saw in the beginning when she quote-unquote cleansed herself. Right, you think it goes back to that experience in the ocean. She still has this guilt of that night, and it's been so strong that she hasn't been able to interact with anybody, from her husband to her friends to her mother, 
in a five minute conversation. Something happened there is my point with Ed. You might be right. I I get we know this from our Patreon podcast. I'm pretty naive when it comes to body language and shit like that. I'm just I'm not going to assume the worst of them flirting with the idea of an affair, although that might be a seed somewhere in their minds. But something happened there. That's another layer of this that we're going to find out. I see your side because there's some evidence to back that up. We have the fact that Ed is fighting with Bonnie's husband right now. Mm -hmm. We have the fact that Elizabeth told us last episode that whenever something tragic happens or something bad, you tend to run Mm -hmm. and change your life story. And how'd you mess up this time? Maybe she's running. Bonnie. Yeah. Maybe she's running to Ed to change her narrative. I can see where you're coming from. I just... Or she just thinks he's very sympathetic. He's somebody who is part of this situation. Maybe she even justifies it in her own mind that it's another secret Ed should know about. Because later, when they have the school assembly and Madeline has her breakdown, Celeste, bonus points for Celeste, by the way, (laughs) goes to Ed and says, what's the matter with you? Why didn't you step in to help her? And he says to Celeste, well, maybe you and I should have coffee. There'll be more things I can find out about that I don't know. Oh, I did not pick up on that. So... Okay. Bonnie told him something. It sounds like your circle keeps an awful lot of secrets that I don't know as a husband that I should know. Well, you're turning me. Maybe we should re-edit this and I'll be like, I have an idea. Plus, one more (laughs) thing. Later on when Jane's on the beach and Bonnie is talking to her about how you have to be open with Corey. This is a new relationship. You got to be up front. And she says, I'm such a hypocrite. What am I talking about? Nathan has no idea who I really am. Now, I think that's more about her past. But there are so many more layers to Bonnie that we're not seeing yet. Oh, absolutely. We know that for sure. And I think Ed, as a character we haven't gotten a close look inside of, there's got to be stuff we don't know there too. We got one more big scene with Madeline that we have to discuss at the school assembly when the principal says he wants to open up the conversation about whether it's appropriate to address climate change with the kids. He calls on Madeline to speak first. She rambles on, talking about how they lie to their kids about a lot of things, filling their head full of fairy tales. What they should really do is tell them the truth, the whole truth. And as she's talking, you can see she pictures an empty auditorium with just Ed that she's speaking to. Um, First of all, this school is the weirdest school in the world. (laughs) I mean, who has this kind of assembly? And the principal. The principal is so... He's done with trying to be political. He's just like, uh, can't deal you know with what? parents Since anymore. You're just, you know what, Madeline? How about you talk? Since you love to fucking talk. That's basically what he's saying. Yeah. You run the show. You, you, you're, you're the so beacon smart. of everyone. And, you know, everyone else can see that knows Madeline. This is a bad idea. She's in no state. She just starts immediately breaking down. Nothing she's saying makes sense to anyone else. I think it's good that she has an unburdening. Yeah. It is also really hard to watch. Again, Ed's just going to, I'll see you punished until I feel better about this. And that's kind of what's happening with him back there. I don't blame him. I do think she needs to come to terms with what's going on with herself. Why is she acting this way? And so I like the moment later when she goes home and Abigail kind of tells her, oh, maybe the therapist is right about some of this stuff. But she's also comforting her and reassuring her whether it's true or not. She believes Ed will be back. I think that scene with her daughter, even though it felt very small and insignificant in regards to this whole episode, I think that was probably the most significant scene for Madeline. They crossed a huge bridge there. Absolutely. It would have been so easy for Abigail to respond differently. The minute I come back home, you did this thing that blew up your marriage. 
this was supposed to be a more stable place for me to be because Bonnie's true. falling apart and now all this crap. <sighs> but by Madeline opening up to her and being genuine with her, I think she's forging a different kind of trust with Abigail. I just worry now I don't want to see her start to put too much on her. Look at her too much as an adult and a friend that she can turn to because she has nobody else. She says it later. If it weren't for you, I'd be all alone here. Let's move on to Celeste. In her therapy sessions, we see the doctor questioning if she's been self-inflicting bruises. Drawing the metaphor from her work with veterans, she reflects, you miss the war, Celeste. Some victims feel attached to their wounds. I looked at you right away because that's what you specialize in. And it's very true. It's unclear. This bruise could have very easily been caused by the fight that she did break up with her kids. But we did see her going through the ritual in the bathroom. Covering it up. Why cover it up? Yeah. If it's from them. And even if it is, she's engaging in that ritual as though to hide something her kids inflicted the same way she would hide things Perry inflicted. Are we just continuing that process along? It's not healthy either way. And I think she's right on about Celeste's addiction. People wondered perhaps it was right to be more confrontational when she was directly in a situation of abuse and needed to get out. But psychologically, she's in as much danger here. If she just wraps this all up in denial and chooses to only remember the goodness in Perry, it's okay to remember those things. But she needs to remember both sides of it to keep a clear head so that she's able to continue to raise her kids in a certain way. We talked about the danger here of kind of insinuating it's okay. This violence is acceptable. Absolutely. And we've been thinking about this for a while now, but I think it's really starting to show. Last episode, we saw her, granted, she didn't set up this ritual or or set up this group gathering, but she came in and sat right next to her son while they watched this love video of her husband. And she actually did say that her and the kids built the memory book together Mm -hmm. that they're looking at right now. And I do think... That is a great idea of a thing that the kids can visit from time to time. But in order to move on, there also does need to be some level of closure. And I think that it's true. When I worked with returning service members who had been in the military, despite all of the trauma and the terrible things that they had gone through, it was almost worse coming back home. They didn't know how to reintegrate back into their old lives, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, or to be how they used to be. They're so accustomed now to living at a pitch 10, to being on alert all of the time, that this life feels dull, flat, and colorless, the same way Celeste is describing. The violence was terrible with Perry, but in her mind that was inextricably linked with passion. You saw their sex life was very unhealthy, that the violence would make them both feel passionate and they would have this aggressive sex together. They had extreme downs but also extreme ups, and she's missing both of them. There was emotional highs and lows. Now she feels this flat existence is worse. Yeah, and she's yearning for it. And again, we see it in the end of the episode when she's watching an old video that her husband made of her, and she's actually masturbating to Mm -hmm. it. We're learning very quickly that Celeste is not dealing with this well at all, healthy at all. She needs to find herself. What is Celeste now? What is her identity? How does she move forward? Instead, she's trying to keep that piece of Perry around. Yeah. You know what? I don't think Mary being there helps because that's all Mary's about is Perry. She's reinforcing that. It's the worst thing that could happen right now. And maybe that's why she wants her there subconsciously. That's why she wants Mary there. 
she's also reinforcing this idea. Just remember the good things about him. It's okay. We'll pretend like none of that stuff ever happened. She lives her life in denial. That's a much easier thing for Celeste to sink into right now than continuing to face the uncomfortable truths. She was coming so close to that yeah. in therapy before, but that doesn't just end with Perry's death. No. She needs to psychologically work through that, and Mary Louise is allowing her not to. And thus, I believe that's going to translate to her kids not working through that either. I want to bring up Kirk again because he had a second question via Twitter at CKC Podcast. He wanted to know how the role that the death of Perry's brother, Raymond, might play going forward. And we had discussed that we don't know what this accident was, quote unquote. Mm. Further, he says, do you think that Perry or Mary killed him? So when he brought that up, I was starting to think about what do we know? What have we seen? Mm -hmm. What has the show shown us with their editing? Whenever Celeste is talking to Mary and they're really getting into the crux of Perry and getting deep with that, then we see the brothers fighting, the twins. And I might be way off here, but I'm thinking maybe Perry was fighting with Raymond as well, mm -hmm. just like that. And maybe Perry accidentally killed his brother. I could absolutely see that happening. I don't think if it was Mary Louise, it was intentional. But it is an awful interesting point when Celeste brings up the fact that Madeline saved one of her kids from drowning. Mary Louise immediately jumps to, what were you doing in that moment? Where were you? Is that just her being suspicious? Or is she hypersensitive to these things because of something that happened in her own past? Why does she need to live in denial? Was there something happening in her own home that she couldn't come to terms with? That mm. she was not allowing herself to see? Whether that was with her husband or her two kids or something Perry accidentally did to his brother? Either way... When Raymond was gone, it feels like she had to put all of her attention and focus on to Perry. He can't be anything less than perfect because yeah. he's all I have left. So she's going to blind herself to any negatives and just continue to reinforce you're the best <laughs> child in the world, which I think Celeste could be in danger of doing a little bit with her kids. And I don't think it's a mistake that we see this intergenerational transmission of issues. So I think that we're learning a lot about Mary Louise, hmm. even though we don't know how it all strings together yet. And the way she is reacting to Celeste partially comes from her own unresolved stuff. In the meantime, she continues to dig up dirt. She goes to see Detective Quinlan, wondering if there are any new developments in the case. The detective plays this so straight-faced I have no idea what she's really thinking. She first tries to tell Mary Louise, I told you we'd call you. <laughs> kind of like this isn't the first time she's annoyed them and she sort of had enough, but Mary Louise keeps pushing. She wants to at least know her opinion then. You don't think my son just slipped, do you? And we don't see what happens after that. We do see Celeste later finds her rifling through her drawers for pills because she, quote, had trouble sleeping. When Mary Louise starts a lecture about the dangers of painkillers, Celeste retaliates. Well, sometimes she needed them after Perry abused her. She doesn't appreciate her snooping, and she thinks it's best if Mary Louise finds her own place soon. Thank you for finally taking a little bit of a stand. I hope that continues. And I hope that Celeste picked up on, you don't really just want a sleeping pill. You're yeah. snooping here for a reason. I think so. This is the first time she's seeing physically what Mary's been doing mentally and emotionally to her and her friends and the entire town, let's be honest, rifling through the emotional drawers of everybody. Well, and isn't this building a great case? Celeste 
openly told her that she got into this car accident recently because she was on Ambien. Yeah. Well, if she could do that, what else could she have done when she was on these opiates and all these other things? Maybe she didn't even realize what she was doing to Perry. You know, it's very easy for Mary Louise to start building a case now that she has this inside knowledge. There's another thing that really sticks out in this scene and the scenes with Jane and Mary that we'll get to next. (laughs) When Mary brings up the painkillers, Celeste retaliates very well by saying, sometimes I needed them after Perry's abuse. Mm. And Jane brings up two other things, which we'll get to, where it's straight up, your son did this, this, and this, undoubtedly. And Mary shuts down. She's not hearing it. And we were afraid of this in episode one. We were like, no matter what you say to her, even if they had a video of him doing it, she would say, well, what happened that day? Maybe there's a reason for that day. Yep. What did you do to him to make him feel that way or act that way? I don't think she's a nut we're going to crack. At this point, if all this information doesn't force her to come to any kind of terms with the truth, I don't know what can. Really. I have a feeling, and we talked about this last time, that there is going to be an interesting interaction between Elizabeth and Bonnie at some point. And I'm really hopeful that Bonnie being on the other end of things, and maybe if she does start getting unfairly accused, it's going to force Elizabeth to take a stand. And if you have Mary Louise on this side saying, my son was perfect, and oh yeah, Bonnie's now confessing, absolutely it must have been her fault that Elizabeth is going to go at her. And maybe that comes to something... I'd really love to see these two women have it out. But let's go to that and finish up with Jane since we're talking about it. Mary Louise also starts in on her, confronting her at work about learning of Ziggy's parentage and asking her to submit to a paternity test. She admits she's desperate to learn it's not true that Perry was an adulterer and a rapist, but Jane firmly reinforces Perry was the only man she was with and she knows the truth. Mary Louise pursues this again when Jane agrees to have coffee later. It starts out as what seems like a respectful conversation, Mary Louise reflecting on how much Ziggy looks like Perry's brother Raymond, saying she'd like to be a part of his life, but reiterating what a sweet and gentle boy Perry was. She again starts putting blame on Jane, thinking she must have tempted Perry into his infidelity. Jane confirms Perry raped her and it was violent. Yet Mary Louise still can't surrender to this idea, needing to believe there was good in him. So many things here. So first of all, Mary Louise's first confrontation with her. How would you feel about submitting to a paternity test? I mean, submitting Ziggy to a paternity test. No regard for feelings or anything. This is what I'm here for. But then second, later on, standing there while Jane is with her son. Just watching watching, him. It's so creepy. But at that point, it's so funny. um, Mary gets a little bit of comeuppance coming to her where she sees that that's the spitting image of her son. So fuck yourself and your paternity test looks just like him. Why oh why would I just turn around and say let's have coffee and have a great conversation? I think this shows how truly manipulative Mary Louise is Mm -hmm. that she has gotten Celeste to open up about things and sure she's in a weaker more vulnerable position but pretending like she's there to help (laughs) Ziggy has never had a family she's been lying to him his whole life regardless of the terrible situation that's occurred could this be a chance for something positive a grandmother that wants to be in his life she starts showing her pictures of how much Ziggy looks like Raymond the kid she lost I'm sure this touches Jane on some level she always wants to do what's best by her son so even if she feels horrible and uncomfortable here If there is an opening where this can be made right, that's what Jane's going to do. And I really respect her as a character for trying so hard. Yet, as you said, the minute she sees, she's never going to accept the truth. She is 
just going to keep being disrespectful and not believing me. She really stands up for herself. And she says, that's it. I've told you what happened. He's not a good person. And no matter what you ask me, the answer is going to be the same. How can you possibly ask someone, especially you just met them, who you already know, your son raped him. And you see her starting to cry and talking about it. He was violent with me. He wasn't a sweet little boy with me. How can you then turn around and say, Did you see good in him before the bad? Did you see good in him? It's like, what? You know, his marriage was really violent. Maybe he misread the signals you were sending. Have you ever been roofied before? Do you know what? Like, I want to smack her Mm -hmm. through the TV screen, but I'm just cheering for Jane. She doesn't overreact. She doesn't get the way it's totally understandable if you would get. She maintains her cool, but she firmly says, you're wrong. You're wrong and I'm done with this conversation. Couldn't have done that better. And I think Mary Louise walks away from this thinking, that's one I can't get to. I'm hoping. I don't have anything on her. She knows her truth and I'm not going to break her down. Or it's too painful to talk to her because she her truth throwing it in my face. is too real for me. Yeah. In my denial of my son. Yeah, I think she's going from one to the next, and Jane's a no-go right now, which I'm happy about. Please, Jane is the only one getting on with her life. Let's let her have a little something. Speaking of that, she does go on her practice date with Corey. And despite his social awkwardness, she has a good time with him, finding him intelligent and genuine. However, as he goes in for a kiss at the end of the night, Jane pulls back quickly. She then explains it's not him, she just needs to idle in neutral for a while. He agrees, and soon after, they spend a day at the beach with Corey teaching Ziggy how to surf. This is the interaction with Bonnie we talked about. But at the end of another date, Corey simply asks for a hug this time. And as they hold each other, Jane allows herself to become more comfortable and also tearful. As they kind of go into a dance. Mm-hmm. That's very sweet. Um, I'm still not sure about this relationship. I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't know what his angle is. Mm-hmm. We still don't know if he is on the spectrum. They made it seem like he was because of his interactions at the restaurant at dinner. And how much younger is he? Because he, he looks, feels so he much younger so much than younger. her. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of that so no. much per se, but it is really soon into Jane's recovery. I do think it's a good idea that she tests the waters a bit. She wants to see if she can emotionally open up to somebody else. I don't know about having him meet Ziggy what seems like the very next day. Yeah, that's a little extreme. Because now there's going to be an emotional attachment formed there before she even knows how she feels about the relationship. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to test the waters with a surfer, he's going to be trying to ride the waves and go too fast. (laughs) It was really sweet how he listened to her. He heard, this is not a personal affront against you. I just need time and I need for you to go slow. And he responds with that the next time. He says, well, let's just hug. Yeah, that's good. But uh, taking it slow should also mean, you know, you're not going to meet my son right away. We're not going to get too involved like that. Let's just go on some dates and enjoy each other and get to know each other a little bit. I think that part of the trouble here is how she kind of followed up this interaction She meant it as, at the end of the first date, I need to tell you there's this big part of my life that I haven't shared yet. I have a son. And because he doesn't quite know how to respond appropriately, he's trying to show that's okay and Mm -hmm. I'm enthusiastic about, oh, I'd love to meet him. Mm -hmm. 
the problem is there, even though it's difficult, she should have said, I really want you to meet him too. Let's just give us a little bit of time. Yeah. Instead, she kind of goes right into that. Well, I think also with this little bit of release that she's gotten since season one, and knowing now that she hasn't been with another man, she hasn't had another relationship, I think a, another part of her really wants this at the sure. same time. So she's probably got some push-pull inside her brain as well. And she does kind of push back against that initial instinct to recoil from any physical contact. She tries to take a step into it by hugging him. She lets herself go a little bit. She lets herself cry. I really think that she's doing a great job as much as she can in this recovery process. I just hope it continues. So with that, is there anything else about this episode, Jason, or are you ready to move into our lies rating? Let's do it. I'll start off. I'm going to say that I feel like this show is just getting better and better because they're able to just layer on top of every episode unfolding a little bit more to us while at the same time giving us more questions. And I love when TV shows do that. So in episode two, I gave 9.1. I'm going to go up to 9.2 lies for episode three. Well, this is so funny. We keep flip-flopping. <laughs> I was at a nine for the first one and a 9.2 for the last one. I don't dislike this one. I just think we downshifted into neutral, as Jane says. Bullshit. I got to idle in neutral for a little while. A lot happened in the character building. Yeah. It was fascinating. But just as the critic said at the top, we had to slow down our central plot movement so that we could dive into all of this. Which I don't mind. I mean, let's be honest. That's what we were complaining about the last season of Game of Thrones. Something they were so good at in the past. Slowing it down for character building. Absolutely. I think I always feel the pressure of a seven episode only season. I still like it though. I'm going to give it a solid nine lies. I feel very similar to our season opener. So let's move on to our most valuable character. Every week via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clatchers, who is your most valuable character for Big Little Lies? And we always give you four. Now I'm getting a little concerned. We're three episodes in and we still haven't seen any dragons. (laughs) Our four options this week were Mary, Madeline, Jane, and Celeste. Coming in at fourth place with 18% is Jane. Yeah, as we said... Sort of the best along her process to recovery and just trying to figure out herself. Although, I do love her interactions with Mary Louise and how she stands up to her. Jane hasn't been the centerpiece in this season, but her scenes all feel warranted. I was worried that she was taking too much of a backseat last time, so I like how they brought her back in more in this episode and made it relevant. Coming in third place with 21% was Celeste. Look, she's falling apart. We're starting to learn how this is eating at her. Mm-hmm. And she's at ground zero as far as Mary's concerned. She, yeah. Mary is there, hovering. She's in great danger. I actually don't think she's hit her breaking point, believe it or not. No. Bonnie's fallen apart. Renata's hovering over that cliff. But I think Celeste still has the denial up so much that she hasn't hit rock bottom. Well, Renata's hovering right now over the cliff because her shield was her money, her wealth, and how well she was doing. And that was getting better and better. And her child. Who's at risk again? of course. Coming in at second place with 26% is Madeline. Talk about falling apart. Oh, boy. Yeah, she could be hitting rock bottom, speaking of, or close to it. I think if Ed doesn't come back or one more thing happens with her, she's close to falling apart. And coming in first place for the second time this season with 35% is Mary Louise. Well, listen, you got Meryl Streep here. Granted... With an already all-star cast, but now you brought in LeBron James, you know? So we knew this was going to happen. <laughs> She's playing this character so well. 
we are so intrigued because we don't know what's going on behind those sharp words. Pushing everything forward. And we're so curious of what she's going to do next. Is she the one that's going to throw the bomb? Can I give a sneaky MVC? Yeah. For who's pushing the plot forward in unexpected ways? Dr. Reisman. She's pushing a lot of our characters, whether you think that's good or bad, to come to terms with things. And it's sinking in on some level in a big way for Celeste and Madeline. So is that your most valuable character? I think I got to go with that. If, oh, if I'm going cheater. with the polls, then I agree. Mary Louise. But no, I like that. Sneak that in. That's fine. <laughs> I'm going to go with Mary as well. I just it's I know it's too easy, but I got to do it. I'm just for everything I just said, I, I'm intrigued of what she's going to do next. She seems to be the only one in control right now. Her and Quinlan. Yeah, I can't wait to see what's going on behind that exterior. I would not be surprised if we do have an episode where Quinlan is the most valuable character. I'm sure that's coming. Well, let's see what our Clatchers had to say. Oren says, voted for Jane because she deserves some happiness. I couldn't bring myself to vote for Mary. She's evil and manipulative. (laughs) I hope we find out why Perry turned out the way he did and what really happened to his brother. Abuse? Well, there you go. Yeah. Absolutely abuse. Uh, abuse for We just Perry don't know what well. kind. <laughs> yeah. Or by who. By whom, Christina? Sorry. Kirk wrote, how about participation trophies this week? <laughs> Most valuable creep equals Mary Louise. Most valuable bitch. I don't think we can say bitch anymore in 2019. Renata. Most valuable psycho. Madeline. Most valuable wit. Ooh, Ed. Oh my wit? goodness. Kirk. Wit. I don't know. No, maybe Kirk agrees with me. All the men are no. no actually this is a good bad argument. This. <laughs> this is a bad argument. Most improved, Jane. I yes. agree with that. Even though I think um, she's not fixed at this point. No, but improved is the perfect word. I think for her to move on, she needs to get out of this town. That to might be definitely be true. And I think she'd be healthier with that. Yeah. Biggest comeback, Bonnie. Oh, uh, I, I think, think. You think for what? a second. Go for it. It's not a real comeback. No, exactly. I think it's just, oof. you know that feeling when you just buy like a new outfit or new sneakers and you Something feel good really. You lighten know, the then, load for a half a yeah, second. And yeah. Then, but I think, let me save that for the spoiler section. Remind me to come back to that. Melly says, how is Jane most improved? After what she went through, she shouldn't trust male strangers, which is exactly what she did in this episode. I see what she's saying, but uh, I don't believe he's a stranger at this point. Um... See, I'm remiss to feel that way, Melly, because she's been that way her whole life, and she hasn't found another man. She I've, completely shut down. She yeah. wouldn't let anyone in, including friends, other people. She hadn't told anybody about the rape, which is also really unhealthy. You can't completely block yourself yeah. off from the world. So Maybe it's I a little l- too soon. I don't know. Well, a little too soon from trivia night. Yes. But her rape took place... Years ago. Yes. Ziggy's in first grade, second grade now. So at some point, she needs to re-enter the world. And I think that's what she's trying to do. And I think that's good. It's just how is she pacing this relationship? Exactly. So I agree with you halfway, Melly. I feel what you're saying. She wouldn't even let him kiss her, though. I mean, that's still keeping a pretty firm boundary, right? I don't know. I feel like kissing is less of a boundary than letting your son meet you. That's another good point. She's, I think, overly concerned with her physical and emotional connection. What does this mean for her, the boundaries of her body, her physical space? She's not thinking about, 
enough, perhaps, how much into her heart that's going to get if Ziggy's affected. I mean, along those lines, I feel like all of our mothers here are not thinking about their children. Look, Ziggy, we've discussed Celeste and her children, but how about Ziggy real quick? Just found out who his father was. Found out his father was abusive. Found out those two twins, the one that was actually beating up the girl that you got accused for beating up, are your brothers. And they had like this whole reuniting scene. One of them was choking Amabella. And here's a new man in this situation. I I I do. I do think, though, out of all of these people... She is doing the best job of trying to parent him the right way. I think so. Yes. Absolutely. You know, best out of everyone we see. There's definitely still room for improvement, but I think she's learning. Mm -hmm. And I think there is the possibility for her to really turn a corner if she's allowed to keep flourishing. And finally, the Viking says, not only am I voting for Mary, I'm concerned I might be voting for her after every episode. Uh The all-star cast of this show is full of amazing actors, but... The real Meryl Streep takes big little lies to a whole new level. Well, I guess I agree with him because I'm going with the same route. I basically said the same thing. So yeah, Viking, I'm with you on that one. And then at the real Meryl Streep said, I love your podcast. You guys are amazing. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? That would be amazing. Do you think she actually does it or she has people on Twitter? Oh, I'm sure she has people. So it would be nice to tell her just how amazing she is. So before we move on to our closer look, I just want to remind the Clatchers that we have a Patreon where we go over so many fun things. We have a coffee break episode that we just released this weekend. It was really fun. We have a bonus episode which, where we go over news and have even more fun. And then we have a movie review that you vote for. And this month we'll be doing Black Mirror, the whole season, actually. So it's not even a movie. And we're going to be recording that this weekend. I'm so excited. So if you want to help us out in any ways and you want to hear more CKC, head on over to coffeeclatchcrew.com and click on Patreon and join us. For $3 a month, you get the Coffee Break episode, and you know that you're helping Christine and myself out tremendously. Oh, and not to mention that you are entered into a raffle every month where you win free CKC gear. And we have two winners this month, so we'll be reaching out to you soon. But if that's not your bag, you can always just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com and click on the Amazon link and do your regular shopping on Amazon. Doesn't cost you any more. Just makes that huge company give us a little bit of money for sending you there. That's another way you can help us out. One last way you can help Christine and myself out is just by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. And we appreciate any one of those. And also, we realize that this is probably a two-hour podcast at this point. Mm -hmm. And that's because this is our first time doing bi-weekly podcasts. We have been uh, busting our ass for months now with one show after the other after the other. And we thought maybe just having a week break where we didn't have to reach a deadline to get it out uh, would help us a little bit. But we didn't want to short you on any episode. So what we basically ended up doing is still doing the same amount of work, the same amount of discussion, but all in one episode with less of a hefty timeline for us. So we hope that you do enjoy that and it's still a digestible episode. Hopefully we can shave that down a little bit for next time. But this has been really great to talk about. We have just two more quick segments for our closer look. Entertainment Weekly did an interview with David Rubin, the casting director, and they had some really interesting points about how the casting was handled for the show. They said when it came to landing Meryl Streep, the idea actually began with Leanne Moriarty, the writer of the novels we talked about last Closer Look. 
Quote, she had an idea for furthering the story and wrote a novella that encompassed the second season she proposed we tell. In the novella, she named the character of Perry's mother, Mary Louise. And Mary Louise is Meryl Streep's real given name. Oh, I didn't know that. So while anyone reading the novella would say Mary Louise is perfect for this, I think Leanne Moriarty was the first person to plant that seed. I wonder if she even knew that, if that was intentional or this wacky coincidence. No, it sounds intentional. And then when Meryl Streep reads it, she's like, oh my God, that's my real name. I gotta play this this part. If that's the case, so smart. But they also have one opportunity that movies don't have, which is when you're trying to court Meryl Streep, you have a whole season where she can check it out, which she probably was already aware of it and be like, wow. Look at this cast. Look how amazing the story is. cast. I do want to join it. Absolutely. For the male characters on the show, they held traditional auditions. But for the children, Ruben says they preferred kids without professional experience so they could bring a freshness to the screen. Of course, midway into this process, Ian Armitage, who plays Ziggy, had his TV show, Young Sheldon. Yeah, he's good in that. I love that show. But they said it didn't seem to impact. It wasn't like his performance was contrived coming back for season two. He still had that. Of course, yeah. You know what? Um, You're talking about kids. This is actually a good opportunity to bring this up. No one probably noticed it. I didn't because I don't know what this kid looks like. When the kids are in class with the teacher, right before Renata's daughter passes out. Amabella. There's a blonde young classmate there. And that is Nicole Kidman's daughter. Oh, they love to do this, right? To sneak in family members or kids onto the set. I hear rumor that her husband's going to be in it too. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Well, Ruben goes on to say... He often has a more meditative process for projects of this nature because in addition to both seasons of Big Little Lies, he also cast for Sharp Objects. And that's really interesting because we know Jean-Marc Vallée did Sharp Objects. Now, he's not helming the show this season of Big Little Lies, but he did for season one, has clearly had an influence. So you also have Ruben here. He says he starts with the book, then turns to the script for these adaptations as a map for compiling ideas. Quote, with a piece that's this atmospheric, I will do long lists of actors not specific to any one role, but actors who feel as though they belong in the piece. When it comes time to think about individual characters, I start with the list and then think of where they might be placed. This process broadens my possibilities, so I'm not limiting my selections. I like that. So really interesting just to hear how this all came to be. Finally, we're going to move into our last segment, our sneak peek, spoilers for episode four. If you are afraid of that... We will see you in two weeks when we cover episodes four and five. For those of you still here, episode four is titled She Knows. Their synopsis is, Celeste accuses Mary Louise of overstepping boundaries with Jane. Renata endures a prying court hearing with Gordon. Jane opens up to Corey at Amabella's disco-themed birthday party, and Madeline continues to try to make things right with Ed. Whoa, that's a whopper of a synopsis to give away. Oh, yeah. We got nothing with Game of Thrones. They weren't even giving out the episode titles this last season, but I like having a little to chew on. She knows, so that's got to be either about Mary or the detective. I think it's going to be about the detective. Now that we're in spoilers, I can say the preview ends on a scene of Bonnie at the police station. That's the big thing, right? Oh, that's right, yes. And it seems like she's finally decided to go in and just confess the truth. So I wonder if that was the conversation with Ed. That's what I was going to say before. (coughs) She feels lighter because she's made the decision. I can't hold on to this lie any longer. Wow. I'm going to go tell the truth. I like that Celeste is finally going to stand up to Mary Louise because of what she did to Jane. 
that's the push that it's going to take for her to say, this isn't right. You got to get yourself in line. But we do see in the preview, Celeste saying there are boundaries. And she's lamenting to somebody, presumably Madeline, that she let Mary Louise into her life or trusted her in the first place. And then we hear somebody saying, everything feels like it's unraveling. Oh, dear. <laughs> I really love this show. And I, th- and I think a lot of our Clatchers do as well. It's a big pivot off of Game of Thrones. And we have lost some Clatchers who said, I tried to watch it to listen to you guys, but I, I just fell off. But I truly believe this is one of HBO's finest series. It is amazing. I felt that way about Sharp Objects. I feel a similar way to this. I like this better than Sharp Objects. I felt a little bored in the middle of Sharp Objects. I think there's times where you can kind of feel that in this story. If you go back to season one, I remember there were some episodes of you feeling the same way. But there's clearly the Jean-Marc Vallée influence. There is an amazing cast. The addition of Meryl Streep this season. The psychological deep dive. It's amazing. I know it's different from some of the stuff we do. But we also love to look at stories like this that really get in depth with their characters and what's going on with them. So it's kind of like a breath of fresh air for me to do something a bit different. We're having a great time. We hope you guys are along for the ride. Patreon members, look out this weekend for your movie review. And for Big Little Lies, we'll see you in two weeks. So till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.